gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates We're back with the Gather Around the Lamp podcast from underagaslitlamp.com and we're coming to you directly after Newcastle have just lost 2-0 to Aston Villa. Um, it was a pretty dominant display, wasn't it, Mark? Yeah, I felt it was a really dominating performance from Villa, and I think that that was something they had to get better at, I think, with the Wolves' result the last time they played and just how lackluster that was. You can't be having that. But, uh, yeah, it seemed like Steve Bruce wanted to hit Villa on the counter. It just wasn't one of those things that was ever going to really come off for him. But, uh, yeah, we know how the result went. Yeah, I mean, I I was quite nervous, um, you know, in the opening five or so minutes, um, just because you know the, the, the dismal display against Wolves, and I was hoping we'd we'd start strongly, um, and both sides really kind of enjoyed their chances in the first four or five minutes. Um, Villa dominated the ball quite well, you know, committing high uh, bodies high up the pitch, but Newcastle were were very eager and very willing to break on the counter attack. Yeah, they're a counter-attacking side. We all know that's how it really goes with Steve Bruce. I mean, you kind of want to park the bus just a little bit, maybe more than a little bit sometimes, and look to spring on the counter. Um, I think when you have players, like I, I don't know, Villa did really well with their fullbacks in this game. I think a big nod deserves to go out to Matt Target and Frederick Gilbert. Especially Gilbert, he, he had a lot to deal with a pacey winger that has a lot of footwork to him. And uh, Maximine isn't isn't one of the kind of guys that you can just let fly past you because he's going to hurt you. He didn't do much against Villa, but at the same point in time, I think there needs to be a pretty big tip of the hat to go bear for dealing with one of the pacier one of the trickier wingers that you're going to find in the Premier League and even though it's Newcastle that's just the way it goes well yeah I mean I kind of expected Gilbert to be able to deal with uh, Saint-Maximin just because th- they'll have played against each other in uh, Liga 1 over the last couple of seasons um, obviously Saint-Maximin signed for Newcastle from Saint-Etienne um, we signed uh, Gilbert from Cayenne so I expected, I expected him to trouble us, but not too much. Um, but he he was the the first real taste of what Newcastle could offer. Um, you know, we we uh, were dispossessed following a corner, and Alan Alan Saint Maximin just rushed into a our final third, um, played a ball across the box for Miguel Almiron, and he just stumbled on the ball and conceded conceded possession. Yeah, Almiron was having a tough game out there. I think he, he's been having tough games for a while, and he does have a skill set. It just seems like every time that he tries to do something, it's not coming off the way he wants it to, or he's coming up against a defender that <clears throat> has seen that bag of tricks before a little bit. So I, I do think he's a really good player, and we all know that he came from the MLS and he came over for, you know, for somewhat of a decent fee. But I, I just I, – I don't know. Like, there's just something there. Like, he just doesn't have an end product. It, it's a little shocking. Sometimes it's even a little baffling of, like, why did Newcastle go after this guy? Like, I, I just – I don't know. Yeah. Do, do you think that um, Almiron is, is kind of like a poster boy for the step up between the MLS and the Premier League? 
I do think he's a little bit of the poster boy for that kind of thing. Listen, it's always going to be hard, and I've talked about it in other podcasts. I'm not a big fan of the MLS. I'll do watch a game if it's on, but I'm not going to go out of my way. Now, in terms of players making the jump to the Premier League, that's obviously going to be a really tough thing, and I think Almiron's one of those players where you can actually see a definition of how hard it actually is. Um, again, he has the skills, and he ha- he's able to do things out there, and he's able to beat him in with pace. He does have decent dribbling skills. His awareness is pretty uh, standard, not, not too good great or anything like that defensively it lacks a little bit but again this is the kind of step up you're talking about in terms of MLS coming over to England I don't think he's a bad player at all I'm not saying that and hopefully he will come good for the better betterment of his career not only at Newcastle but maybe even beyond maybe you know he gets a move sometime in the next couple years but as far as being the poster boy of that step up in that golf in class I think that's exactly what you're seeing in terms of him he didn't really look like he ever played against a defense like Villa before and I mean it was obvious to me but I mean I'll, I'll take a player out of form all day long on that front yeah i know he, he signed for a lot of money and to, to me he looks he looks like a child not not just physically but like in in the way that the game's played as well like i feel like he's you know um it's almost like a load of dads are playing football and and you know a little nine-year-old is chasing after the ball trying to dispossess someone or trying to run past someone and he, he he seems to be struggling not only with the the physicality of the league but the, the general pace of it as well as well yeah, and that's that's just what it is. It really comes down to the pace of it. It really comes down to how bad do you want it, really. And it's not a dig on him to say that he doesn't have any kind of, I guess, physical nature that he can bring to the game. I, I just, I don't know. Like you said, he's a little undersized. I think that he does bring something different to the game for Newcastle. He doesn't seem like a stereotypical Newcastle-type player. But that, then again, that's that's something where Steve Bruce is obviously going to mold this squad if he's afforded time to do something like that. So I don't know. At the end of the day, really, it's, it's just hard to you know talk to other people from the States who think that you know he was going to go over to the Prem and, and tear it up, and it was, just, it was just not the case at all. It just wasn't happening. Yeah. Was your heart in your, in your throat, um, it was quite early on, um, Joe Linton was uh was uh, a judge to have failed Jack uh, and Jack was left on the floor you know holding his leg um and he came into the game as the most failed player in the league and obviously the trend continued but I, I was I was like sat there thinking oh god like he's just come back and Lansbury took his coat off looked like he was preparing to come on and Jack continued to play you know hopefully he's still fit and able for the United game but like for, for a while he was visibly limping and I was thinking oh god you know this is just going to have aggravated him yeah I had my head in my hands and I'm like please Jack just get up but I think that's the way for most Villa supporters I think we know that Jack you know the way he plays the style of game that he plays he's going to get fouled a lot so when he does hit the deck especially coming after an injury and he's not always going to get the same time afforded as everybody else to recover from an injury because of how meaningful he is to the team uh, many people may not like that but that's the way that it actually is uh, so yeah I'm just glad that he sprung back up I- I'm glad that it wasn't anything serious and it wasn't anything we really had to worry about I think he will be fit for United I really think so it was the it was the fact that Lansbury got up and got ready to come on, um, you know the coat was off and you saw him once once Jack was uh, waiting on the sidelines to come back onto the pitch, um, you saw Lansbury you know sit back down in the chair and and throw his coat back on and you kind of thought okay Jack's okay, but um, yeah it made it did make me nervous I was I was a bit worried that that we were going to be losing him you know so early on into the game. 
Yeah, I was worried too. But you know, big big props to Lansbury. You know, he was he was up and, and doing his sprints and everything on the sidelines, be ready for it. And that probably is his role. Like with Jack being out, if Lansbury's available, you know, on the bench or if Jack gets injured after a game to come on, Lansbury's pretty much the next guy up whenever Jack goes out. And you know, we'll see what he can do if that ever comes. But yeah, big props to Lansbury for getting up and being ready. You know, basically at the drop of a hat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, t- talking of the midfield quality, um, Douglas Louise forced Dubravka, uh, the Newcastle United goalkeeper, into an absolutely outstanding save in the twenty-eighth minute. Um, you know, we- we've seen this kind of trademark Douglas Louise shot from outside of the box, um, and he did it again. Uh, I think it was the, t- the twenty-eighth minute, and uh, yeah, you know, he's curling it. I-, I don't think he necessarily strikes it as well as he could have. I think he slipped slightly. Um, but you know it, it's it looks like it's going to crash off the bar to me. But you know obviously Dubravka can't you know take that risk and just palms it over the bar. I think that Douglas Louise has a license to shoot from wherever he damn well pleases. I know a lot of people aren't big fans. Of, well, not a lot of people. A, a, a decent amount of people aren't happy with the fact that that's kind of like a one trick pony for him. He hangs out at the edge of the box and, and wants to pop a shot and everything like that. But I mean, when when the crowd's screaming for you to shoot and they know you can shoot from twenty five thirty maybe even 35 yards out you know and that was the, that was a thing like you saw you heard a couple of the villa supporters screaming for him to to make a shot you know and he's way way far away from goal i'm not saying he can't do it i think it's just one of those things that that that's what Douglas Louise has in his locker but outside of you know the shot and the brevka and brevka did make a really nice save on it and everything but the same thing goes that Douglas Louise had himself a fantastic game i thought he was one of the better players on the pitch and i don't know if you're going to get a lot of people talking about that or not but i think that he was sweeping around laterally through the the whole pitch I think he was putting people in their place a little bit uh and by by putting people in their place I mean that he was he, tactically he was just stopping anything Newcastle was trying to do in the middle of the pitch it seemed that Newcastle got to a point as soon as they got the ball they went to Shelby Shelby sprayed it out wide it was over and over and over again but Douglas Louise I'm telling you man he can he, he's got to carry a license to, to shoot that ball where, wherever he pleases when, whenever if he's in a spot go for it yeah I have to agree with that um but you know it, you, you you know you, you mentioned that uh, Douglas Louise, um, well the 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 whole tend was you know calling for that that kind of screamer and that that screamer I guess kind of came, um, you know it wasn't necessarily like you know a forty odd yard shot but um, it was almost it was almost like folklore you know Conor Horahan, um, you know it, it was frozen out a little bit um, under Steve Bruce on on a handful of occasions. And uh, you know Jack Grealish wins a free kick on the edge of the at the edge of the Newcastle area. Um, DeAndre Yedlin pushes him to the floor, which is a stupid challenge to make, in my opinion. Um, you know, Connor rolls the ball to Jack. Jack stops it dead, and Connor just bends it over the wall with that left peg of his. Yeah, what a fantastic goal by Connor. I mean, just bending it around that wall. And I think there's a little bit that needs to be said about how poor Newcastle were on their set pieces on the day. And they did make mistakes to enable Villa to get in the scoring positions. I do think that it's it's quality over the lack of quality. And um, j- just the free kick in itself, like we've seen Connor Horahan bend that ball so many times. But it really comes down to the fact Newcastle didn't know, like, they, it almost like they seemed like they didn't know that that was a thing that was going to happen. They they acted like uh, I guess just really lethargic, like mentally lethargic on a set piece. And, and you like you don't know Connor Horahane has has the left foot of a wizard. You know he, you don't know that he's going to pull this ball around anywhere and he's going to get in the back of the net. So I think it was poor on Newcastle's part. The wall didn't seem like they were. 
I don't know, really into it. They didn't know what to do. The, the Brevko was kind of screaming at guys as, as the kick's being taken. But, yeah, beautiful goal, timely goal. You needed that. It was a perfect time to get it. And uh, Harhan, I, I just I love him to death. You know that, though. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle didn't really help themselves, did they? You know, the the wall was rooted. The keeper was rooted. There was just nothing that no one no, no one kind of expected it, I guess. Um, and it, it allowed Harhan to score. And, you know, he, he's... Goals and assist wise, he's our most influential midfielder that we've had in some time. Yeah, everybody knows Connor's influential, and like for my big thing is like where where are Newcastle's data analysis? Like, how, how do you not know that this man is about to? You know, I mean, maybe it was a little bit of a shock he was in the starting eleven, you know, for Newcastle. But like as a data analysis and as a coaching team, especially Steve Bruce who coached Horahan before, like how do they not know that this man has a wonderful left foot and he's able to curl it around the wall and you know he can be a threat not only just you know attacking the net with a ball but also passes. I mean, we saw his, his crossing was on display. I don't know, Regan. I just thought it was a little weird that you know there wasn't more, I guess, of an impetus to like, hey, th- this man's a, he he has the ability to put it in the net. Like, how do you stop it? And it was just really poor from Newcastle castle on that front i don't i don't i don't know i kind of it made me scratch my head a little bit yeah i'm surprised that that the you know that in this in this day and age of football you know players watch clips players players will watch you know the games of the opposition that that they're coming up against next i can't believe that they hadn't studied what what horahan could do maybe horahan was a bit of a shock inclusion i know it was to a lot of villa fans but you know, maybe they just didn't prepare for his his inclusion in the squad. And I'm thinking that might be it. They just didn't think he was actually going to get into the game. He didn't think he was going to start at all. I don't know. Like it, just, it, it mystifies me a little bit. I just don't know how they don't know. And like you said, players do watch clips, and that, you know that's a thing they do in their downtime. All professionals do it. If it, you know when you're at this kind of a level, you're going to want to watch what the other opposition does, and not even just Villa, just all the teams that are around you or that are coming up on your schedule. You're going to want to know who the danger men are, who the set piece guys are. All those kind of things come into play. I, I just I have a feeling that it was just a mental lapse and it wasn't just one time in this game for Newcastle it was multiple times in this game and Connors we we know what he can bring it but he is not the only free kick threat on the on the Villa team you know we, we have a multitude of players now who are able to do things you know with the ball and just different I guess patterns of play can pop up that where you're like oh I wasn't you know other teams like oh I wasn't expecting him to cross the ball that way or wasn't expecting him to make that run or not expecting him to use the fullback overlapping or things of that but it's it's still the fact of like is this just old world Steve Bruce I don't know I don't want to say that you know Steve Bruce I liked him when he was here I had no problems with Steve Bruce when he was here um you know the mad few and all that kind of thing started to you know turn me a little sour on him but the fact remains like this is 2019 you got you have to know what every player is capable of and the fact that the Newcastle players were just so switched off and so lethargic and seemed like they didn't really care much that Horhane was standing over a dead ball situation it was just a little bit of sh- it was shocking to me it really was I don't I don't think that that that's something that you see most of the time in the Premier League. Well, yeah, you know, Steve, Steve Bruce, he's, he's going to know exactly what Connor's about. You know, he's probably saved Bruce's job one, at least once or twice. Um, but I think perhaps, you know, if, if they weren't prepared for, you know, this kind of stuff data-wise, then it perhaps says something more about Bruce as a manager. Yeah, maybe it does say a little bit about him as a manager. And... Again, I have I have the utmost respect for Steve Bruce, not only as, in his coaching career, but also as a player, also as a man. We all know what he went through hardship-wise last year while he was at the Villa with his family. You never want to see anybody go through that kind of a thing. 
But it maybe as far as his you know football acumen in the modern day, maybe it just lacks a little bit. Maybe it's just he's he's showing how dated his tactics are. Maybe showing how dated his preparation for games are. And again, he's a he's a professional coach in the Premier League. You know, I'm really nobody to criticize him. But it, from where I'm sitting and my knowledge of the game, in my opinion, is that there's just a little bit lacking there. And it's almost like you see no matter where he's gone over the past couple clubs now, it's just the same thing over and over and over again. You just rotate in different players and different styles of players. Um, and I, I don't know. It just it, it just seems like he's doing he, – he wants to succeed, and he thinks that his model is the way to succeed. But I just think that that time has left him. I think that that time has already flown by. I don't think that it's something where it's going to get any better for Newcastle supporters. I think this is what they have. And it, it's almost like he's just doing the same exact things – over and over and over again. Well, that's the definition of insanity, isn't it? Trying to do the same thing over and over again and getting the same results. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah you're right, it is. It's the same thing over and over again. And I, I'm sure Newcastle supporters aren't happy with it. But, I mean, we saw it well enough at the Villa. This is how he plays the game. This is how it, how it goes down. And, I mean, if they better get used to it because it's, it's not going to change anytime soon. It's really not. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you, you mentioned like managers moving with the times. Roy Hodgson is a is a prime example of a, an an older manager, is the oldest manager in the Premier League that has moved with the times. And you know, Crystal Palace has seen the results from that. Um, and you know, he he completely, I guess, juxtaposes Steve Bruce's philosophies. Yeah, the Premier League moves fast, and we can even see it from when we went down to when we came up. It's a totally different league. The style is different. Uh, the refereeing is different. Tactics are different. You're getting different kind of players that don't. They're not just you know one tricks and and that's all they have. It's it's a lot different. But I mean, I, I don't know. Like it's hard for Newcastle. Like you're bringing on Andy Carroll in late in the game to you know expect to change things, and I, even that's old world to me. And it's no knock on Carroll. It's no knock on Newcastle or Bruce. It just seems like it's just old world mentality. Like you just got you have to grow with the game. That, that that's what it's about. That's how being a good manager is being a good manager. Well, that's exactly what Andy Carroll was signed for, isn't it? Um, but yeah, Connor, Connor turned provider in the 36th minute as he whipped in another free kick, won once again by Jack Grealish, into a central position and uh, Anwar Al-Ghazi was there and tapped home to double the lead. Uh, he had a kind of muted celebration. He probably thought he was offside, but... I think even if uh, Anwar didn't get there, I think Mings was there, and I think Mings would have probably buried it. Yeah, I think that Tyrone would have got to that ball if El Ghazi wasn't standing there regardless. Um, but yeah, I was I was right there with Anwar. I really I didn't know. I didn't want to sell it. It was just one of those close things you're starting to see with the inclusion of VAR that you just, you're not too sure about um, if goals are actually going to stand or not. But it ended up that Anwar you know, did what he had to do, and he was on sides, and it was a great goal. But, yeah, that delivery from Connor was absolutely class as well. And, again, that, that's just what he brings to the team. And a, a lot of people that have doubted him in the past, I mean, I think he made a pretty serious claim against Newcastle to keep his spot. Um, you know, going into uh, Man United being the next fixture, I, I just don't think that um, – I think it's one of those things where you you want to kind of stick it to your former manager a little bit. I know there's probably a lot kind of a way to say that, but I, I think that it was always on the cards that uh, that El Ghazi was going to play up for this game, and I thought he had a brilliant game. But then again, I didn't think that many players had a, had a bad game. But I think with El Ghazi being on the pitch, he had a little bit of something to prove, uh, not only to himself but also to his former manager. And and he just it, what a brilliant performance, brilliant goal. He needed it. He did. Well, I think it's quite fitting that. Um... We published an article last week about 
players that had to prove a point to Bruce. And we were saying that really the only one that we expected to start would have been El Ghazi. Um, but I, I mentioned in that article that um, if if uh, Connor was playing, that he also kind of had something to prove to Bruce. You know, a bit of grudge, a grudge that needs put into bed, as if you were. Um, and you know, it just shows that the the two goal scorers tonight were those two players. Yeah, you're always going to want to prove your former manager wrong, especially if if something happened that you weren't happy about, like being dropped out or frozen out of a side. Um, That's that's a human thing. I I think you're always going to want to prove your doubters wrong. I think it's always going to be one of those things that you're going to play just a little bit higher than what you usually do in those situations. But um, if I... (laughs) If I remember correctly, it was, it was me and you were talking before the game, and you said that you wanted nothing more than a than a Anwar Al Ghazi, you know, cup to the year celebration and, and score a goal and all that kind of thing. I, I, yeah, I, I was kind of. Go on, go on. Yeah, I, I just think it was one of those things that would have just added to the, the the feeling of the night. I think it just just would have been something so funny and so amazing to see. Yeah, I wanted that kind of like shit house celebration, you know, like like Jamie Vardy again against Palace the other week. I I just that before we continue, actually, that reminds me for anyone that's listening, um, when when we play Leicester, please don't mention the whole Rebecca Vardy thing, um, because Jamie Vardy will score and he will rub it in our faces. Yeah, let's keep the Jamie Vardy and his wife things where they deserve to be, and it's not in a football stadium because he's going to punish you again. Like he just said, he did it to Crystal Palace and whatnot. So I don't, I don't want to see that. Keep, keep that stuff at home. Keep it off Twitter. He's good on social media too. He, he looks all the time for banter to spur him on. So don't do it. Just, just. But it happened. It happened at the game as well, didn't it? They were chanting um, about Rebecca Vardy, and he went and scored and did the whole eagle celebration. Yeah, we don't need. Um, we don't need that. But, but, we don't need that at all. Anyway, just keep, <laughs> keep it at home. Don't do it. Uh, the, the first real test for um, Tom Heaton was just before the end of the first half. And uh, it was a corner played in. And I thought it was Kieran Clark, the former Villa defender at first, but it was it turned out to be Fernandez, And he heads the ball and forces Tom Heaton into a kind of reflex save. Um but you know, Heaton looked relatively comfortable for the vast majority of the game, um, and obviously the two sides went in with Aston Villa leading. Um, what did what did you think of the first half? You know, how how did Villa look to you? I was really happy going into the room with with the two 0 lead. Um, they looked really really good to me. Uh, it, it's coming off an international break, and the game that you had before that, you looked like a totally different team against Wolves. Villa did not have their best game. Everybody knows that at Wolves, and this was a complete turnaround. It was a complete one eighty from from what we saw away from home. Uh, it needed to happen. I'm sure that those players got a little bit of a, a kick up the backside and told like hey this is this is unacceptable you, you can't be playing this way um and it, it was simple stuff too that the villa that really cleaned up against newcastle like just simple passes and um finding each other knowing where each other was going to be uh, a big show of chemistry between the fullbacks to the wingers to the midfield and even wesley was doing really well i thought he had a really good game but yeah I, I was happy with that i think that villa needed to have a game like this coming off of such a lackluster performance um so yeah dean and the coaching staff did remarkable and making sure those guys didn't let their heads drop at all. Yeah, I've got to pretty much echo what you said. Um, you know, it was a it was a completely different performance to the one that we saw against Wolves in the first half. Um, and you know, that was that, that could only ever be a good thing. You know, it, 
you need you need a first half performance like that after a, after a performance like we had against Wolves. In a perfect world, whenever you have a bad performance like that, you're always going to want to come back strong, and that's exactly what Villa did. And I think that's what Villa is going to continue to do for the season. Um, I, I think they they're now starting to realize exactly what's going on here in terms of cohesion, not only team team cohesion, but also playing cohesion. It's only positive. So you need these kind of bounce back performances. And again, people say it's just Newcastle, but you can only play who you're lined up against. And Newcastle did all they they could to try and stop this from happening. But yeah, I I think Villa looked amazing in in the first half and and long may it continue. I really do think that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, The second half started perhaps not the way that we wanted it to um thankfully there were no goals but you know uh, bruce lee looked like he'd uh fired his, his side up a little bit and uh alan saint maximan was perhaps the most the most fired up in the second half um he forced tom heaton into two saves within the first minute or so um and, and villa were kind of defending deeper than they would have liked uh, Newcastle attacked with more urgency, and and it looked like we were going to have a half of of Villa on the back foot initially. Yeah, it, it wasn't a great six to ten minutes of the opening second half for Villa, but I, again, we, we've spoken about it at length. It's a bend but don't break mentality when things like that happen. And Villa, you know, with all the pressure that that was going on in this in the start of the second half, I think they did pretty well to stop it. I'm sure Steve Bruce he looked mortified going into the the tunnel. Uh, at the halftime whistle, so I'm sure that he dug into his players a little bit and said, like, hey, you got nothing to lose. We're a wounded animal right now. Go out there and do what you have to do. You know, try to break this team down. Try to stop them from sitting in your half the whole game. Um, but, yeah, uh, you, you can't say enough about, you know, what Steve Bruce as a motivator. I mean, we've seen him motivate our own, our own players, you know, in previous seasons, but I still think that it was one of those things that they never had a shot of getting back into this game after fa- falling two behind and falling two behind in the way they did with costly mistakes and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, they, they were they were good on the counter for that short period of time. They, they really pinned Villa back. But uh, I heard Dean Smith on the telly saying that, that you know, Ty- Tyrone, the press up a little bit. So I, I love hearing that from the manager. And, and Villa definitely had a response a little bit after that little passage of play. Yeah, and Esri Konza uh, forced Dubravka into a, a pretty stellar save. Um shortly after i can't remember the exact time i think it might have been just just before or just after the 60th minute um and uh it was conor Horahan's corner that found the defender and he was unmarked on the penalty spot you know it was really poor defending from newcastle um unfortunately for villa concert's header was directly at the keeper who who just had to get down low to stop the third goal from happening and what a performance it was by Conte, even not burying this header in the back of the net. I still really felt like in the absence of Bjorn Ingles, I guess he's still dealing with a little bit of a hip problem, um, which was a shock to me. I thought I thought Ingles was going to start. But yeah, with Conte, I think he did really, really well. Um, even with this chance on goal with, or without the, the chance on goal going in the back of the net, I still think he had a supremely good game. I think Villa have a really, really good young player on their hands here, Regan. Um, I, and I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, next man up mentality is usually a, a big thing for Aston Villa and now now it's to the fact of Ezri Consa now steps in for Ingles I absolutely love it and I, I think it, it that kind of chance was what Villa needed at that time to be honest with you I, I think that and it was it was this header from from Consa that kind of sparked uh, Villa's second half revival kind of thing I, I say that as if they were like you know flatlining they really weren't but this kind of allowed Villa to you know pile on prolonged pressure and, and prolonged periods of possession uh, and multiple set pieces um and you know this this caused bruce to uh you know throw on 
four attackers at once with uh, replacing Paul Dummett with Andy Carroll in the 62nd. Um, and just six minutes later, Andy Carroll had an opportunity to score an absolutely outrageous goal. Um, a, a hefted cross finds him um, towards the, the, the far post, but obviously a bit a bit uh, deeper into the box. Um, he kind of chests it down and volleys it towards Heaton, who saves it really comfortably. It's just a simple catch, but you know, imagine that if that had gone in, that would have been a contender for goal of the season, never mind goal of the month. Yeah, the chance that Carroll had, I, I think that was one of the only maybe three moments where like it felt like my heart sunk a little bit or I had a little bit of a gasp as I'm watching the game happen because, uh, I mean, that would have been a world-class goal. People would have been talking about that goal for the rest of the season, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe uh, Andy Carroll's not a not a terrible player. And, uh, again, you know, I'm not disrespecting the man. I, I don't think badly of him whatsoever. I, I, I don't know. He That's a great grade a chance and i i can't believe that he didn't put in the back of the net but yeah it was one of those like oh kind of moments where you're kind of like oh man if that goes in that's changing the entire landscape yeah i mean that that goal goes in and and it's a completely different you know final 20 or so minutes in the game um but things just weren't weren't gluing weren't 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 sitting properly for newcastle and um, they were forced to bring Dwight Gale into the affair uh, just a few minutes later after uh, Carroll shot. And he replaced Joe Linton, who was suffering with a bit of a nosebleed at that point. Um, but, you know, Gale, I think Gale had one touch off the, off the top of my head. Um, and Villa's prolonged periods of possession and pressure carried on from this point. Um, you know, McGinn forced Dubravka into a fairly easy save after some intricate footwork from Jack Grealish, uh, and a few seconds later, Wesley nearly scored the uh, Villa's third. You know, Hurahan squares a ball across the box for the big Brazilian, but his shots just directly at Dubravka, and you know, really should be doing better. But then again, you you can argue, you know, the pace of the ball, the movement of the ball, the movement of the player. You know, he he should be doing better, but there are things that you have to take into account. Yeah, I, th- I think he should be doing better, um, but I'm still not upset about his performance. I saw a couple people on social media you know, slagging him off once again, and I-, I think that at this point in the game with that chance, the way the ball's coming in, I mean, he's obviously gassed. He's a big man. It's hard for him to run around for long periods of time. I'd like to see half these people criticizing him run around as much as he is during the game and still being able to put that ball in the back of the net. Now, he is a big guy, and he's a big striker, and he's supposed to be a little bit of a bully inside of that box, and you would have liked to hope that he would put that chance in the back of the net, but it just didn't happen it would have been nice for a 3-0 win other than a 2 I think goal difference is going to come into play at some point in time you're going to have to start thinking about things like that but I didn't think Wesley had a poor game at all even with this this miss I mean he did shoot it right at the keeper and that's unfortunate but I think he's getting better every game uh, I think that um, you're really starting to see the process now uh, I think going off with the Brazilian national teams are going to be a big thing for him I think it was a big thing for Douglas Luiz too we saw that in the game but in terms of Wesley and how he's getting on and how things are progressing for him I think he's going to be just fine I, I, I think that I don't think he's going to you know turn around and be this 25 30 goal scorer a season but I do think he's showing improvements I think that he's running a lot more I think he's pressing the back line a lot more I think he gave three defenders a lot to think about and that, that's really promising so I mean I, I don't know what did you think did you, did you think he had a decent game no, I think I think he had you know a, a better game. Um, you know, I think he was pressing relatively well. Um, I think he was holding the ball up well, and I, I think as well in in regards to that shot, you've got to take into account that Dubravka is he's he's a very good goalkeeper. You know, he's within the top seven or so in the league, I would say. Um, 
and you know Dubravka's consistently improved in his time um, at Newcastle so you've got to take into account that he is a, a relatively strong keeper and those shots he's going to be saving in training day in day out Dubrovka's a very good keeper, and I think a lot of people, when they think about Newcastle, they think about some of the high-dollar signings that they've made uh, in this past uh, window and even the January window, but they never really talk about Dubrovka. He is a class keeper. Like He's really nice. He's a big body out there. He knows what to do. Um, it's, it's a shame that the defense in front of him didn't play as well as maybe they have in previous games for him, so that's a little disappointing, but uh, again, like you, you, have, you have this Villa team that's able to pop these goals in from basically... I don't want to say anywhere on the pitch, but they can put themselves into positions to maybe get a goal from a place you wouldn't really likely see. Again, the Wesley miss is going to be talked about. That's going to be something you're going to see all the way up until next week before the United game. But again, I think he had a really good game, and I, I think that if he finishes that chances, all those moaners turn into, turn into cheers, and I think they're, they're just really happy with his performance no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree. Um Villa really didn't have many more chances after this, you know. There were a couple of counter-attacks as, as Newcastle tried to get a goal back. Um, McGinn had a, a duo of chances just before full-time. Um, you know, I think he was rather selfish. I think he was having one of his um, weaker games and I think he was trying to make up for that by scoring a goal. Um, but there were, there were times where he could have played Gilbertian twice um and and he could have possibly played Wesleyan as well, but opted for shots instead. Um so I think I think McGinn could have been the you know the the catalyst for a third goal, but he wouldn't have been the scorer himself. But obviously he, he tried to hide the fact that he was not having his best game with his uh obviously engine engine uh running across the pitch and potentially a late goal. Yeah, it's one of those things where McGinn just didn't have his best game, and that's okay. There's other players around him that ensure that that things happen. Um, I, I I do think that he was running around a lot, and he was still doing the, the John McGinn things that we used to see, and he was getting his backside in the players. He was causing a little bit of chaos in the midfield with that kind of play. But at the end of the day, he didn't have a great game. He's coming off the international break. He's probably a little bit knackered. He probably went to Dean Smith and was like, hey, listen, I'm fine. And that's not to say he wasn't fine. It just didn't come off for him. So it's, it's uncharacteristic that you don't see that kind of thing happen from, from John McGinn in terms of having like a really, really stellar game but I, I don't know I love the Connor Harhan and Jack Grealish and John McGinn show I will be a fan of that show probably until the rest of my life it's probably going to be that those three players that I think should be on the pitch all the time for Villa it's it's not a knock on any other players that we've brought in or any other players that are at Aston Villa right now I just think that those three men possess such a chemistry that it's one of those things where you need to use that and utilize that as much as possible. And that may be something that we see playing against like teams that are a little bit more down the table. And then for the teams that, you know, have the high power offense, that's when you see a marvelous Nakamba come in. And I'm all right with that. I just think that those, the three midfielders of McGinn and Horahane and Grealish, I just think they have such a chemistry. They went through so much last year. Uh, it was just so much up and down that I, I think that you can't put a price tag on those three players. I, I think it's so, it's almost like, I think it's going to be one of those things that turns into a timeless thing. Like Villa fans are going to look back on this in years and be like, wow, remember when we had these three players and they just clicked all the time? I don't know. It might, it might be a little biased, but I just, I love them that much. I love seeing them play together. Yeah, I, I keep seeing comments on uh, on social media and it, it, it's like a, 
a take on a, one of those old jokes, and it's a, an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scot walk into a into a midfield. They're no joke, and I think that's quite fitting. You know, they're 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 three very strong players, and when they play together, Villa tend to do well. Yeah, it's almost like old reliable. You put those three players on the pitch and they'll be fine. I just wasn't happy with some of the social media comments I've seen about John McGinn's performance. Some people saying, oh, we better call United and, and get him out the door. Like, come on, you're kidding me. You got you got get out of here with that. I'm not trying to hear that at all. I want John McGinn in an Aston Villa jersey for the rest of my life, if possible. Um, I, there's no reason to, to slag him off like that. I, I couldn't believe I was seeing some some Twitter accounts that I, I really think highly of that were talking about, you know, Ben McGinn off, get him to United. Get out of here with that. He's our player. It, it's it was one subpar performance. It wasn't even like he had a bad game. He just didn't have his greatest game. Mm, there. Um, but yeah, speaking of Man United, we're playing Man United uh, for our first game of December on Sunday. Um, you know, Man United will have their Europa League game um, this week, I believe. Um, so they won't be as fresh as us. Obviously, we, we've played Monday. Um, but... <sighs> United are in a bit of a, a bit of a situation themselves at the moment, you know, uh, perhaps not fully behind the manager, couple of injuries, Pogba's missing, McTominay's missing. Um and that th- their last game they were 2-0 down to Sheffield United, you know, brought it back to 3-2 and then conceded in the last minute of the game uh, to draw 3 all. I I don't really know what to expect from this game, but I I'm not expecting a Villa loss. Yeah, I'm really optimistic about this game coming up for some reason. I, I, I like, I, I just think with the uh, the coming back from the the bad Wolves game, and then playing Newcastle and doing so well against Newcastle, and then you're coming up against the United squad who just had to scrape a, uh, you know, a, basically a draw against Blades. And I, I, they have that Europa League game. I believe that's on the Thursday, and we play them on Sunday. So they're not going to be as fresh as we, as as you alluded to. So I don't know. I just have this feeling like Villa's going to take it to a team that might be a little. I don't want to say downtrodden. I just, I just think that they know that they can do better and they're just not doing it for one reason or another. So I, I really do think that Villa can get something from, from this game and I do think they might actually be able to come away with all three points. And I know that's a big, big shout against a team that has that kind of uh, attacking impetus such as United does. And we all know that, that what they bring going forward, we all know about Rashford, we all know about Martial, we all know about that kind of stuff. But it, it's the same point that like Villa has playmakers of their own and that's I, it, it's a prideful thing for me and yeah, it's going to sound biased but I, I really do think that Villa can take it to United. I think they can do things in the middle of the park that United's not that, that United has shown they can't handle very well, uh, especially with Jack Grealish uh, just basically being all over the pitch and being a threat to either spray a ball or you know take on defenders. And, and, and that's the whole thing. That's what we're seeing from Jack right now. That's what we're seeing from a couple different players. So I, I don't know. I just I, I'm, I'm feeling really optimistic about it. And it's not a thing of, of just saying I think Villa are going to win just to say it. I've, I've called Villa losses, you know, on this podcast before and on social media. But I, I just think that we're going to get something from the game. I don't know if it's going to be a win. I just feel like it's going to be one of those things we're going to look back on and be like, yeah, we, you know, we, we went to the United and actually gave them a game a little bit. I think there's a chance. I mean, defensively they're they're, they're rather poor. Um, midfield's rather poor, but up front they're they are strong. You know, they've got Rashford, they've got Marshall, um, they've got James, who who's very uh, Saint Maximan like in his counter attacking, especially the speed. But the difference is he can actually finish. Um, so I'm I'm not too sure about a win, um, but I do think we can take something away from Old Trafford. Can I get a score prediction, Mark? Oh man, put me on.
Okay, I'm gonna say a one-all draw. Yeah, that's respectable. That's fair. That's fair. I'd, I'd, I'd be happy with that. I wouldn't have a problem with that whatsoever. I, I think it draws probably on the cards for a win, but that's just me being a little optimistic. No, oh, absolutely. Um, and I think that's probably the best time to end this podcast. Um, you might have noticed a little less statistical analysis uh, in this podcast, but that's just simply because we're recording directly after the game. Um, and these these kind of accurate stats aren't available to us. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please give us a, a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Um, you know, subscribe, retweet, comment, share, all of that stuff on social media. And talking to social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Villa Lamp, on Instagram at Under a Gaslit Lamp, and on Facebook forward slash Under a Gaslit Lamp. Um, and keep an eye on our website this week. Uh, I don't know when this podcast is actually going out, but there's something special dropping this week. Um, so make sure you're, you're tuned in over at www.underagasslitlamp.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and up the villa. <laughs>